and he talked about um, this, the series that we're in on, on joy. And the greatest source of joy comes when you serve. When you become a part of what God is doing in this world, that becomes so moving and so powerful in your life. It, 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 it carries this undercurrent of joy throughout our lives. And, and that's just one of the fruit of the Spirit. We are um, in this series called Believe, and um, we have, I understand, three English books left and a few more Spanish books left. So we are giving this book away. We encourage you, if you have not picked up your copy, there's three left. Get out there quick, right after the service. No. Um, there, this is a whole series. Actually, we are in partnership now um, with Northgate and Bethel. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Ken Jensen. I've uh, been senior pastor at Northgate Christian Fellowship for the last 28 years. I actually was on pastoral staff here. I actually grew up in this church. Um, but uh, Bethel sent us out 28 years ago to plant a new church, start a new church over in Benicia. And now we're partnering together um, and back, and it's good to be kind of it's it still feels kind of like home. So we're glad to be here. And, and by the way, as it was mentioned in the uh, announcements, I am actually here in the office now two days a week for any pastoral counseling or need or anything. So you can contact the office or just send me an email. Um, it's care at BethelSF.org. Feel free to do that. Um, back to the book. So this book we are giving away free. We actually started this at our church at the beginning of this year. It's a fairly large book, but it's all about not just what do we believe, but how we believe, and then the person that we're becoming because of it. Um, because one of the things is we can say whatever. It doesn't matter what we say we believe. How we live our lives reveals what we truly believe. I can say a lot of things that I believe, but if my actions don't, don't follow through on that, I can say it all day long, but it's not really what I believe. What I really believe is how I live my life. And most importantly, it's the person that I'm becoming. So this series is actually, this book is broken down into three different sections. The first is, what do we believe? And it's the, 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 the ten essentials of our faith as Christ followers. The second section is, how do we believe? How do we take those beliefs and actually put them into practice? And then this section, the third section, is now, who are we becoming as we live out these beliefs? And that's the most important part of your faith. It's the person that you are becoming. So we've made these books available. Um, they are free. We encourage you to pick up yours if you haven't already. Now, I know we're, you're kind of coming in late in the game, so here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Each week you can read like chapter 1, which is one of the essentials of what we believe, then chapter 11, how does that work out in my life, and then chapter 21, which is what kind of person am I becoming because of this belief? So we're in week three. So this week you can read chapters three, chapters 13, and chapters 23, and you'll all be up to speed. That might be a little overwhelming, but you can do it. Now, here's the thing. In this book, it's all scripture. Um, but there are some key questions through it in each chapter that are for reflection. So this is meant to be for you kind of a daily devotional. And, and so I encourage you, if you haven't picked up your book or you picked up the book and you didn't know, now I got it, what do I do with it? That's what you can do with it, all right? And we would encourage you to get with other people, um, someone else who's also going through the book together. And, and how does it hit me and how does it hit you and, and how do we grow together in all of this? So like I said, we're in section three. That's a long introduction. Um, we're in section three, and today we're talking about um, fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Today we're talking about peace. Um, and this is what I told our church back home. Um, when you think, sometimes you think the fruits of the Spirit, like, okay, I take these, I work out them one at a time. It's all one fruit. 
And, and I, I say, think of it this way. Think of it like when you look at a rainbow, you can see a rainbow and you can see there's all these different colors in it. But as you look at the rainbow, it's hard to distinguish where one color leaves off and the next one begins. And that's kind of how it is with the fruit of the spirit. They are all one fruit and they're not to be taken apart and just, okay, I'm going to work on love, 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 love. And I'm going to work on joy, 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 joy. And I'm going to work on peace, 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 peace. Um, even though we are taking one each week, they all tie together. And particularly love, joy, and peace. Because when you start living, when you start living that life of love, when you become love, when you are becoming love, what shifts is your focus from all on me that I start becoming focused on other people. And because that's what love is. I'm no longer focused on my self-centeredness and my selfishness. I become others focused. And what happens then when you start becoming focused towards others, when you begin to serve, when you begin to to live freely and generous life, then it does create this sense of joy and joy and love are closely linked together in peace. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, he links them together quite a bit. And we're going to look today at Philippians chapter four. For those of you who don't know, the book of Philippians in your New Testament, in your Bible, it's simply a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people in a church in a city called Philippi. And he writes this letter at a time when he is actually in prison. In fact, he writes about it in the letter. He's in prison. He's not really sure what the outcome is going to be. It's a chance that he might be released. There's a good chance he might be put to death. And he's in this prison. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. He's in these really crummy circumstances. He's not sure of his future. And yet he writes about joy and about peace. So in chapter 4, this is what he writes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He ties all these three together, love, joy, and peace. And in the middle of his circumstances, not knowing what the outcome will be, he still has this sense of peace about it. He's still joyful sitting there in prison. And I think as you go through this, there are some things in here that, that we discover that because of God's grace extended to us, because of that reckless love that he has shown us, it puts within us a whole different way of approaching our lives. And there's a sense of peace knowing that my, my life is now in God's hands. 
And that affects a lot of different areas when it comes to peace. If it, starts, it starts with this, that we can have peace now because of his grace in our relationships. That grace fa- fundamentally changes our relationship with God. In fact, that's what he writes in uh, his letter to the Romans. He says, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we now have this relationship with God that wasn't there before. At one time, in fact, he says we were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with him. But his grace extended to us. And because of his grace extended to us by our faith in him, now we have peace with God. And his grace and his love and his mercy comes to us unconditionally. His love to us is not based on our being lovable. And let's face it, we're not all that lovable. Well, I might be, but the rest of you, I'm not too sure. No, we're not. But that it's not based on our being lovable. It's his love freely extended to us. That's what his grace is. And because we now have peace with God, it flows into our relationships with others. So he goes on and he says in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because we now have peace with God. Now he says, now live at peace with everyone. The problem is that every one of us have certain people in our life that what uh, Rick Warren calls EGRs, extra grace required. Those difficult people, in fact, just show of hands, show of hands. How many here today, show of hands, would say, I can think of at least one difficult person in my life? Okay, now if you didn't raise a hand, it might be you. That's a hard one to swallow, but the truth is you are somebody else's difficult person. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. It's hard for me to accept that I might be somebody else's difficult person, but I know that I am. He says, because our relationship with God has been restored and we now have peace with him, we can live at peace with other people. Do Do you know this? God, I believe God deliberately places difficult people in your life. For your good. In fact, I'll go so far. He deliberately places difficult people in your church. Yeah? For your good. For your good. See, in the church family, in the body of Christ, this is where we learn to practice love. This is where we learn to practice grace. This is where we learn to practice reconciliation. And difficult people in churches is nothing new. It has been since the first century. And Paul wrote about it. He says, I appeal. There's two women in the church. They're having a disagreement. There's something that's causing a problem in the church. He says, I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Because God has made you right with him, get right with each other. See, that, that's a response. He said, and he wrote to the Romans, as far as it is possible, but it comes down to you. You do your part. See, God's grace, God's mercy is like this big stone dropped in the middle of a pond that is meant to set out ripples of grace on and on through you and through me. And one of the most powerful tools that he gave us is this thing called forgiveness. Because we have been forgiven. He says, now forgive one another. In fact, 
he goes on, he says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You will never have to forgive anyone for anything greater than what God has forgiven you. Never. Oh, I know it's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. But you don't know. And, and we, you know, you could, we could stand up here and every one of us could stand up and tell our sad story of being hurt and, and burned and, and someone who was close. In fact, the closer and the, 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 the more we were together, the harder the hurt is to heal. But the only source of healing is forgiveness. And so he says, forgive, not just forgive, sort of, forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Because he's extended his grace to you. Because he's, ex he's extended his forgiveness to you. He says, now practice that with one another. Forgive. Forgiveness is really a choice. And, and, and you do it slowly. <laughs> you make the decision. And then understand it's going to take some time. I have a friend who was deeply, deeply hurt by someone close to them. Deeply, deeply hurt. And was just could not even look at that person. Couldn't even see a picture of that person without this anger stirring up inside of him. And he just decided, I can't live like this anymore. And so he just decided it is time to forgive. And as hurt as he was and as badly burned as he had been, he just decided. And this is what he decided to do. He said, I will, God, you helping me, I will go. I will set aside one minute each day just to think well of that person. And he did that for a week or so, and he said, okay, God, by your grace, I'm going to extend that. I'm going to set aside 15 minutes to think well of that person and to pray your blessing on that person. And I don't know how much longer it was that he expanded it to a half an hour. And he said, slowly, by learning to let go, over a period of time, he was able to look at that person and have a conversation with that person without that inner anger and that burning resentment. Lewis Smead says, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover that the prisoner that we set free is ourselves. So the bottom line in your relationships, learn to give grace. Give grace. You've been the recipient of grace. Now extend that to others. Because of his grace, there's something else that happens that we can also have a peace in our circumstances. I think one of the greatest barriers to peace, particularly in our day and in our culture, is, is this driving, driving, driving force that just compels us to have to have more. This, this discontent that, um, that there are companies, thousands of companies spend millions of dollars every single year feeding this discontent, telling us that we, our life is incomplete unless we have this product. This is the product that will make your life. And, and uh, Dr. Martin Seligman, Seligman um, writes about this. He calls it the hedonic treadmill. That we make a purchase, we get an acquisition, and it makes us happy. But then we kind of get accustomed to it, and, and we get used to it, and it doesn't quite make us happy like it did once upon a time. But what happens is our expectations of happiness is now that now we need something bigger and brighter and shinier. And so we're on this treadmill, and we're never content. And then we have this culture that keeps telling us that you're stirring up the discontent, and we keep pursuing all of this stuff. And what happens is we start living restless lives and stressed lives, and we're constant grasping and gripping and buying and, and hanging on to whatever it is that we've got, thinking that will be our source of peace, and it never is. 
Paul said, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This is an iPhone 7. I've had this for two years now. Now, last year, actually, I was eligible for an iPhone 10. And, I, you know, I looked at it, and it's, it's got facial recognition. It's got a better camera. It's got all these other things. Oh, I need an iPhone 10. I need an iPhone 10. And my wife kept reminding me, no, you don't need an iPhone 10. No, you don't need an iPhone 10. But I got to have an iPhone 10. My life is incomplete unless I have an iPhone 10. So I have an iPhone 7, and I'm learning to be content. culture keeps telling us you got to have you got to hold on you got to grip it you got to hold it tightly otherwise your life will not be complete and paul says no there's something you have to learn it's called contentment when you learn contentment you have a greater sense of peace now i was eligible for the iphone 10 last year and i just want you to know and in case you ever check up on me later on someday i will buy an iphone 10 so don't judge me but it will be after I have learned contentment, okay? So if I have my iPhone 10, then, then you'll know that I've, no. That's, we pursue and we leave, live, live stress-filled lives, discontent, lacking peace, because we're looking for it in the wrong places. Paul said, no, I've learned the secret of being content. And by the way, that's not something you manufacture on your own. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, contentment arises from the understanding that God is my source. That God will provide. And what God provides me will be more than enough. I need to learn to live in contentment in that. It's, it's, it's really shifting my focus from what I don't have to recognizing what I do have. And the way that you do that is with gratitude. He says, fill your minds with those things that are good and deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. He says, fill your mind with those things and just practice gratitude. Here's an assignment. I gave this to our church back home, Benicia, um, this last week. So here's my assignment for you this week. What I'd like you to do is get yourself a pad of paper or a blank book, a journal of some kind, and this week, this week, each day, begin your morning before you do anything else. Take out that pad of paper or, you know, stack of papers or blank book, whatever you've got, and just start each day with this sentence. Today, Lord, I am grateful for dot, dot, dot. Today, Lord, I am grateful for. And don't just go through and list a whole bunch of things that you can think of to be grateful for. Here's the assignment. Pick one thing. And then say, Lord, today I am grateful for. Because, and really develop gratitude. See, because contentment is not the list of things that you can say you're grateful for. It's truly being grateful for that one thing. So try that this week. Just practice gratitude. Because of God's grace, we can have peace in our relationships with each other. We can have peace about our circumstances. One more area that we can have peace in our difficulties. And this is the one that Paul is really drilling down on here. Because like I said, he's in prison. He doesn't know what the outcome of all this is going to be. He could very well be um, ending up in death. And he's in the middle of this really crummy circumstances, really in the middle of all of these difficulties. And yet he's got this joy and this peace. 
And you can have that kind of peace in the middle of your difficulties. No one gets a pass in this world. Life is hard. Life can be quite difficult at times. And becoming a Christ follower does not give you a get-out-of-trouble card free. We still go through that. Every one of us do. And, and, and what happens is that we go through our lives, everything's under control, it's all working out just the way that I planned, it's all smooth sailing, and then a crisis hits. And in the middle of that crisis, we begin to realize, I am not as in control as I thought I was. In fact, it's been said, one of the greatest differences between you and God is, he doesn't think he's you. We live in this illusion of control, but we don't really have control. I had a conversation just this last week. Uh, a, a lady that came to our church in, in Venetia, and um, she, she came out of the New Age movement. And um, it was just her, I just talked to her, it was just her second time visiting us. She gave her life to Christ. And I was talking with her this week on the phone about her decision and how excited I was for her. And she said, you know what? She said, I grew up and I was, I was in this whole new agey thing. And it was all about, I have to create my own destiny. That, that I, and in, in essence, it's, I have to be my own God. She said, I just got tired of trying to be God. I think sometimes crisis has come along, crises come along to remind us it's hard to be God when you're not. He says, in the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your circumstances, he says, yeah, you're not going to, you're, you're, you're going to still be in the middle, but you're not in them alone. He says, so do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety, that's the opposite of peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And that's really what prayer is all about. Inviting God into my circumstances, into my difficulties, recognizing that I am not God and I am not in control, but I can still have peace in the middle of these difficulties because I know the one who is. In fact, let me give you a definition. It's very close to the definition of joy. It is the definition of peace. It is the settled conviction that God is in control of the details of my life and that his intent and desire for me is good. Let me give that to you again. It is a settled conviction that God is in control of the details of my life and that his intent and desire for me is good. So Paul goes on, he says, and in that prayer, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things that prayer does is it expands our vision to see beyond our present circumstances, see beyond our present difficulties. In fact, at the beginning of this letter, he writes to them about his imprisonment. He writes to them, he says, I want you to know what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He says, I'm sitting here rotting in this jail. I have no idea where it's going to lead. I might end up being killed in all of this. But here's what God's doing in the middle of all of that. Yeah, it kind of sucks for me right now. But, but God is using this as an opportunity to reach. In fact, he goes on, he says, now the whole palace guard knows why I'm here. The whole palace guard now knows about Jesus. It's not so good for me right now, but look at what God's doing in the middle of this. And sometimes we need, some, sometimes we think prayer is trying to get God to change our circumstances. I think more often than not, prayer is our invitation to see what God's doing behind the scenes. 
And so, it's, so now the whole palace guard knows. In fact, when he closes the letter and he sends his final greetings to this church, he says, the, all the, all the, all the uh, Christ followers here send their greetings, especially those in the household of Caesar. So now it's not just a whole palace guard. We know that there's actually members of the household, people in the household of Caesar himself who have now become Christ followers because Paul's stuck in jail. So your circumstances, your difficulties have a bigger picture to them. And the only sense of peace that you're ever going to get is to recognize that God is in control of the details of my life. And God's intent and God's desire for me is always going to be good. Not It may not always work out good for me, but it will be good. So here's what I want to give you. I got a prop. this let's give it to God so maybe you're here today and there's a difficult person in your life someone has hurt you someone has burned you someone who was close to you disappointed you and you're carrying that and it's gone from anger to bitterness. And the only answer to it is let it go. Let it go. It's grace. Allows you to let it go. Forgive. As God in Christ forgave you. Maybe you're not too crazy about the circumstances in your life right now. And it's hard. And you're wondering, does God care? Is he really interested? Does he know my circumstances? Or, or maybe you're in the middle of something and you're holding on so hard, trying to control them and make it your own. And you can't because you're really not in control. hard right now and you're not sure how it's all going to turn out God of peace 
that in relationships that there's strife, there's anger. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's a close friend. Maybe there's a need to forgive as far as it is possible, as long as it depends on you. You have peace. Let it go. And yeah, it's going to be hard, but you can just in this moment say, God, Maybe it's stuff that you're holding on to. You're grasping for that thing. And maybe today it's, it's letting that go. Or maybe it's that control that you want to hold on to. Because maybe you've been out of control for a while. Or things that just happened to you and you feel so totally out of control. You want to hold on even tighter to the little control that you have. And maybe today peace can come to you. pursued you. He gave his one and only son. He gave his life on a cross in payment for your sins so that you could let them go and be free in him. And today you can take a first step of faith and just simply ask him, God, would you take me the way that I am with my faults, my failures, my guilt, my shame, my sin. I can't fix this. I'm letting it go to you. Let your grace wash over me and free me. I want to follow you. Wherever it is, all the same. God, here we all are, all of us, with our struggles, with our faults, our failures, our sins. We surrender. We surrender the bitterness, the anger, the guilt, the shame. We surrender the stuff that we hold on so tightly to. We surrender our circumstances, our difficulties. We put them all in your hands because we know we're not in all on our own. We are dependent on your grace. So Lord, would you take us right now where we're at and whatever next step or first step this might be for us. And would you bring forgiveness? Would you bring healing? Reconciliation between us and